This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Football CFB today by my first ever guest, Christian Nadi. I'm delighted to have him back on. I've said this on record many times. No matter who I interview, whether it's Cristiano Ronaldo, Leo Messi, whoever it is, I'll always be forever indebted to you, Christian, because you gave me a chance when nobody else would. So thanks for joining me again. Welcome, welcome. I'd like to be on again. Uh, I'm glad to be Sorry. <laughs> Um, the first thing I want to ask you is, obviously, the lockdown situation is affecting everyone. How are you coping with it? How are you keeping your I'm not going to lie, it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. Um, and the fact that I'm on my own is even harder. But, you know, I try to, to keep positive. I try to, to keep dreaming, which makes me uh, focus on what I want to achieve in the future. So, um, keep myself uh, fit physically and, and in the head, which is the most important. In terms of the, the mental uh, fitness as well as the physical fitness, have you got yourself into a routine each day to keep yourself busy? That's my routine. Bible. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, try to stimulate your mind. Um, try to learn new things and yeah, just to try to, to keep yourself busy. That's what, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm glad to hear that you are keeping yourself busy. And the first question I've got for you, I asked you this back um, when we recorded the first time, but I think it's important to go over these questions again now that we've got better. How did you become a professional footballer and what was your upbringing like? How did I become professional? Um, I think, you know, when, you, when you're kids, that, that's a dream. That's a dream. Um, so I didn't know if my dream was if I could make it. But I, I gave me the the possibility to uh, to make the dream come true. So I worked really hard. I could see my big brother were professional, um, were a really good player at the time. Uh, my dad pushed me into football. He showed me a lot of video of um, Pele. You know the yeah, yeah, yeah. the late, and to me that's the the best player ever. And uh, he really made me love football, and I just wanted to. Uh, to reach uh, the professional um, stage at some point. When did you start playing football for a team? Oh, it was from a little town called Savigny sur Orge, which uh, I hope one day I'll be the, the chairman of this team. Uh, I've been contacted actually like a weeks ago for that. Um, yeah, that's where I started when I was, I think, four years old. In terms of yourself as a youngster, you're a striker. Were you always a striker or did you play in different positions when you were young? Oh, I played in many, many positions. I wasn't really a striker. Well, I wasn't a, a target man at the time. I was more like, a, I started as a winger, right winger, uh, then left winger. Uh, I was like playmaker also at some point. I played left back, uh, which I loved. <laughs> you know, it was the old time of left back, but all you had to do was to defend. 
that's my thing. Um, I played um, the French national team over 21. I was like kind of playmaker and striker at the same time. Yeah. In terms of what we talked about this before, you first came to my attention and the attention of many people over here when you joined Sheffield United. But what was your career like before Sheffield United? Well, before that, it was great. And it was great as well. Sheffield, it was, it was great. It was a dream. It was a dream. I started to play professionally when I was 17 uh, in League 1, which is, uh, it was huge. So it wasn't as easy as it is now to, to, to play for the first team. It was really, really difficult. Then I managed to, to put myself in the French national team under 21 when I was 18, which was a great achievement for me, for my family, for my club, because I was the first player to ever achieve the French national team uh, at any level. So it was a great achievement for me, for, for my club. And I was, I was doing a right at capital injury, which put me, uh, make me go on loan. But I learned so much about myself going to a place where I didn't know nothing, I didn't know anybody. Um, then I came back and I've done very well and I've been offered a good deal, which I declined. And then I went to, um, to, uh, to Sheffield. In terms of going to Sheffield United, uh, you were linked with some really big clubs before you came to Sheffield United. Were those moves ever close? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have signed... Uh, there were... Jérôme Bordeaux was um, was very close. But when I was 17, I could have sent for Milan C. Yeah. Uh, didn't happen just because of um, of my mom. <laughs> because of my mom. She's a Christian woman and she said that when someone do good to you, you need to do good, which is, is a good way of life. Um, but yeah, there were Marseille. Um, there were a few clubs like that who were interested. And... Um, and I could have signed, but I waited too long and then those clubs disappeared and, and Sheffield came along and I signed. In terms of Sheffield United, before we talk about them, you, you mentioned the fact you'd played for the French under-21s at such a young age. What was that like and what, what kind, what the, who were the players you played alongside there? Like, there were players like Patrice Evra, which for me was one of the, left back, the best left-back in the world at the time. Um, Patrice Evra, I don't even know, there were players called Jack Fati, um, there was Sinayama Pongol, Leta Lake, uh, Jeremy Mathieu, all those players who were like already a professional, a confirmed professional. And I wasn't even professional at the time, my contract wasn't professional. I was the only player actually who were not professional and with them, so they were all trying to give me advice where I should go, where I should find. And, uh, Obviously, uh, uh, <laughs> I didn't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> what were they like back then? Because you mentioned people like Patrice Evra, Matuidi, kind of guys. What were they like back then? Could you tell that they were going to go on to have really top careers for the next 10, 12 years? Well, you know, it was, it was so weird because they were like, when you were with those guys, it was you, um, when you were on the pitch, they were totally different guys. They wouldn't even joke. They were so serious. You, they wouldn't allow you to make a mistake. They would not allow you to be lazy. They wouldn't allow you to not make the run. They, they would just basically, you know, when you're PlayStation and you got someone being like someone controlling and then the player has to do it. Yeah. They were like, this, do this, you do that, you do this, you go there. And as soon as the game was finished, they would be the one 
laughing, making jokes, trying to make everybody comfortable and laugh and everything. And I learned a lot from those guys and unfortunately I didn't follow their, their lesson sometimes. In terms of Sheffield United, was coming to the Premier League such a, a big move for you in terms of a dream true? Oh yeah, I was, to be honest, I wasn't expecting Sheffield to, co to come to me. Um, it, was, it was crazy. It was actually crazy, and even now, sometimes when I think about it, I'm very, I'm a very, very player. I'm very, very lucky player um, to have went there, to have uh, witnessed what I've seen, uh, live what I've been, what I've uh, I lived. I remember my first game again was against Liverpool, and I've never seen um, the stadium from Lane before full actually so i went there for the warm-up and it wasn't like it wasn't, i was like oh, there's no to be right and then i went to the dressing room and then i came back in i came back on the pitch and it was full and they were singing and i started to have goosebumps and i, I could see all those play those liverpool players and i was like wow it's actually happening i'm actually a premier league player i'm playing in premiership i'm i'm one of them but i was still looking at them like the kid looking at the, the the professional player. What was it like playing in the Premier League, considering that, as you said, you grew up in France, you played all those different positions, you played with the national twenty-ones. What was it like when you finally played in the Premier League? Really, we talked about it being a dream come true, but was the game very fast, very physical? How did you how did you find yourself adapting to it? No, actually, because at the time I was quite a fast player, so I think I adapted quite quickly. This, the difference is, is the, the fans. The fans, uh, everywhere you go, is full and they're pushing the team. And you actually, when I was playing and I could feel the, the Sheffield fans behind me, I could never say, oh, I'm tired. Sometimes I could be tired, but I wouldn't feel like I'm tired because you feel them pushing you all the time, all the time. And, and you will do stuff and you will you wouldn't do usually because you've got all these adrenalines and the atmosphere makes make you like a, a different different kind of player. And uh, and also yes, yeah, the intensity of the game is totally different. It's very very quick. There's no time with the ball. You always have you always always feel under pressure. It's, it's amazing. One of the big moments you get asked about this all the time, but rightly so. You score the winning goal against Arsenal at Bramall Lane. Talk me through that goal. Uh, <laughs> so what happened to this the goal is actually I've done this the kind of same uh, things like a few minutes before but I passed it to uh, Kazim Kazim at the time and he was offside and I realized and everything I was doing Kolutore uh, was following me everywhere he wasn't even looking the ball he was just looking at me which I know then if I the next time I would get the ball he would still try to reach me instead of reaching the ball because I knew I could hold the ball so when the ball came uh, I knew my brother used to do this all the time when we were young. He let the ball going through his legs and just turn. So once the ball came to me, I knew they were, it was only me and him. So I just let the ball go and, and I know I'm, I would faster than him. So the only thing was hard was to beat Lehman. But the way I've seen things, Lehman was so... Actually, it was like maybe 50 yards of, of, his, of his line. That's the way I remember it. But when I see the image, obviously, it's not the same. And I said, that's so easy. And when he came there, I said, why is he here? Is he crazy or something? And just, I just put the ball in the, in the net. 
in terms of when you saw that goal, the noise of the stadium, your teammates going mental, what was that like in that? When I scored, when I scored, the, what the way I celebrated is I was thinking of Pelé. Because when he was celebrating, he was jumping and he was like punching in the air. And when I scored, that's what I've done because it was the first thing I thought. When I scored, it was just Pelé. And that's what I've done. And then obviously I was in shock. <laughs> and I was like uh, over the moon. I was happy and I was just trying also to, to rest. <laughs> <laughs> How did your life change? Because you get so much media exposure, media attention. People were really interested in you, especially after that goal. Not really, because at the time I couldn't speak English. So I had, my, I had David Somay who were with me and were helping me a lot with, the, my, with, the, with my English. So despite I was the one scoring, he was the one talking, which he helped me a lot because I know sometimes I would talk rubbish, but he was the one translating and making the good. So yeah, he really helped me a lot about this. Yeah. You mentioned the language barrier there. See when you join a club and you can't speak English at first, what's it like when the coach is trying to get his message across to you? Uh, how was it? You know, um, Neil Warnock is a very expressive play, uh, coach. You don't need to understand him to know what you have to do. <laughs> you don't need to, I think the, the fear makes you know what you have to do. And um, yeah, he would just say, go on the pitch and enjoy. Do what you know what to do. And that's it. And then when there's something that I wouldn't understand, David will be there to, to let me know. But you know, when you're on the pitch, you don't really need instruction. You play the way you, you know, you know, the coach is just on, he's just there to tell you what would be the best things to do and everything. But once he's on the pitch, it, it not really happen. So you, you play the way you are. Uh, you do what you, you feel is the right thing to do. What was Neil Warnock like as a coach? You talked before and you said that you had a really good relationship. What was he like? Because he's a big character. I didn't hear the hand. What was he like? Because he's a big character. Yeah, oh, he's an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy and he's an amazing coach. He knows how to make you feel comfortable. He knows how to motivate you. He knows how to push you to your limits. And um, yeah, it's, it's been amazing to me from the first day I arrived to sign my contract until uh, he left. Even now when we, we are talking, it's, uh, it's been amazing. It's been like a dad to me. You mentioned the fact that he's like a father figure to you. Coming from France to England, not speaking the language, was it really important to you that you had that sort of father figure behind you and you knew that he believed in you? Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> of course, he didn't believe in me right away. Um, I remember after the first session, he phoned my agent and said, what, what, what is this guy, why is he here? <laughs> because he was a fitness, fitness test and... I, <laughs> It was the fitness test, and I think it was the beep test. And I think I stopped at eight on the first day. And he phoned my agent straight after that. What is he doing here? And my agent told him, just relax, don't worry. And then the next two days, they were like on the um, training with the balls. And then he was, uh, he was quite impressed and happy. And fit from that day, he was behind me, helping me, calling me. And you know, it was really nice. If I needed anything, if I needed friends over, he would let them come and then train with the reserve team. Honestly, it's been amazing to me. It was, it was difficult, obviously, when you change country, you change 
uh, it's not your language. Um, you don't know much about the players, about the club. And uh, it's been amazing. I had a friend who actually couldn't really play football and I didn't even know. He let him come and he trained with the reserve team for six months. Just so I wouldn't be alone at home. Well, he saw I was alone at home. I thought I was. That's brilliant. In terms of one of the other stories you've told before as well, you, we spoke before. Is it right in saying that Neil Warnock even invited you over to his house for dinner just so that you had some company? Yeah, yeah, he invited me to, to have lunch, dinner, um, to his house uh, in Sheffield, I think, where I was close. So, no, it's, it's been amazing. When he left, he was even, it was even more. He would call me all the time, text me um, to know how, um, how I was and all those things. No, it's been amazing to me. Who were the best players you played against in the Premier League during your time with Sheffield United? I think it's Ronaldo. How good? Yeah. You know what? Uh, it was it was amazing, but the only problem was um, it was just after the I think the World Cup was the Euro where he's been. Uh, he was playing against England. And he's done something to, with Ren Rooney or something yeah, like yeah, that. So yeah. it was very difficult for him with all the fans um, booing at him and shouting at him everywhere he went. So I remember when we played, I played against him after the game, he was crying. And I felt really, really bad for the guy. And But he's so strong. He's so strong mentally. And that's what makes him even like a better player. Who, see, when you, obviously you're a striker. What, who was the toughest centre-back you had to play against? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think um, Vidic was quite good. Yeah. When you play against somebody like Vidic, is he someone who tries to bully you early on? And is that when you've got to just show your strength and give him a bit back? No, because when I played against Vidic, he wasn't, uh, I was stronger than him. But he's the kind of player who's always there, annoying. And, yeah. You know, there's players like that, they don't need to be strong or fast or anything. But if they are there at the right time, they know where to kick you, they know where to do anything. And you know what button to push you to, to make you make the mistake or just to make you angry and just forget about the, the game. But you just focus on him. And if you focus on him, you're not focused on the pitch. And you just you know how to play with your mind. He will just kick you or talk to you. And sometimes you feel like he's your best friend on the pitch, but he's <laughs> No, he just tried to make you lose your mind, to make you forget where you are. Absolutely. Fascinating insight. And in terms of your teammates at Sheffield United, who were the big characters in that dressing room? Big character? Um, Claude Davies was quite good. Uh, he was trying to make the uh, atmosphere up all the time, like laughing with the boys. Jack Elka was a big character also. Um, yeah. Calls. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I was two, yeah. In terms of Jagielka, obviously you have a really good career. Did you enjoy playing against him in training and did you have a good bit of banter up against each other? Yeah, no, it was good. He was no he was he was we had like I think the same age. He was like maybe one year young older or two years older. But he um he helped me a lot. He was already like so much mature in his head, uh, even though he was a joker. Uh, he knew how when to make the difference. He was he was a really really good guy. He's been really nice and yeah.
I'm not surprised you've done this kind of uh, career. Following Sheffield United, you, you, you came to Scotland, um, you played with Hearts. What was it like playing with Hearts? There was lots of big characters in that team. Yeah, I think in, in Hearts there were a lot of leaders. And sometimes when you've got a lot of leaders in a team, it doesn't work. Because everybody wants to play this kind of football. And because everybody's got a quite a strong personality, sometimes it could clash. But we had a good, there was a good atmosphere. But I think with the team we had, we should have achieved so much more. You, one of your managers was Jim Jeffries, big character. What was he like with you? What is he like with me? Jim Jeffries. He was actually really good. He was really good. I was, when he first came, I was like, wow, that's some old school stuff. We were running and running and running. I remember the first warm-up we've done when he arrived. After the warm-up, everybody was so tired. He was against St. Johnston. Nobody could run just after the warm-up. And he said he's done it on purpose. Um, but yeah, he's, if not, he's, he's a character. He's a really good guy. He's a really, really good man. Um, when I saw him last time, I gave him a big hug um, because I learned also a lot from him. And um, yeah, he's, he's an amazing guy. One of the players you played alongside at, at Hearts, a big character who's now doing a lot of good with podcasts himself, is Kevin Kyle. What was he like as a cat? I never played with Kevin Kyle. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. When I left, I think that's when you arrived. Ah, right. Sorry, I thought, I thought he was there. Um, what I would say was with Hearts as well, Romanoff was still. In charge of the club, did you ever come to the dressing room and communicate with the players as well? Oh my God. Uh, no, no. Football is weird. Um, some people shouldn't be close to football. Yeah, and it's one of them. It's one of them. Um, I wouldn't say he's a guy or anything because it's really nice, but I don't know much about football. Um, and I didn't know, I don't think he knew how to deal with players. But it was, it, if you would talk to him, he would talk really, he would be really, really good and, and everything. But he would just come and it was his way or no way, basically. Mm. And is that something you think that was hard to deal with for the managers that he worked with? Because he went through quite a few managers in his time. I think I just said everything. It's his way on the highway. And uh, I think when Chabalaslo tried to challenge him a little bit, that's when he knew that he would be. From Hearts, you were on to, to Dundee and Wraith Rovers. Um, what were your memories of playing for those clubs? Because again, just like Hearts, they're very big clubs in Scotland as well. Well, I've been to clubs before, uh, in between of those, but... Um, Dundee was a magical moment to me because uh, just before selling for Dundee, I was about to, to drop football. I wanted to stop. And um, yeah, I wanted to stop football. So for me, it was done. And I, I was just came back from a seven months, eight months um, knee surgery. So it was quite difficult for me to come back and play, especially train on the Astro when you just had the knee surgery. But um, 
Um, I worked hard. I worked so, so hard. Maybe the hardest of my life when I was in Dundee because um, people had really bad opinion about me since I was lazy, I wouldn't do the job, I was overweight and all, all those things. And I wanted to put people wrong, so I worked so, so hard and, and I managed to achieve what I wanted. Unfortunately, I didn't get another contract, but I can say that I was part of the, the team who, bring, who brought the team in, uh, in Premier League. Absolutely, definitely. And, and Wraith Rovers, another spell that was good for you. You also scored a goal at Ibrox as well. I love playing for Wraith. I loved playing for Wraith, actually. Um, the, the players were amazing. The, the, the staff was amazing. Once again, it's one of those teams where we could have achieved so, more, so much more. But we were so inconsistent. We could win at Ibrox and then the, the week after we would lose against, I don't even know, against a team who are maybe far behind us just because we are yeah, inconsistent. And that's, that's why it could frustrate uh, the fans because I, I guess they could see the potential that the team had, but we were not like doing the maximum. You also had spells abroad in your time in football, not just in England, not just in Scotland. What was it like playing abroad as well? It was, um, it was all right. Just, you know, it's, it's a new experience. You know, as a footballer, it's, it's good sometimes when you can go everywhere and, 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 um, and get paid, basically, to travel. Get paid to, to, new, uh, to know, how, I would say, um, culture. Yep, of course. Trust me, there's a big difference of culture between <laughs> Europe and going to Thailand. And, uh, and I'm glad to say that I live there and I play there and I've done what I had to do and I came back. What was it like when you played over there? Because I'd imagine it's a very different, as you say, culture and style of football. What was the standard like? No, I was very surprised, you know. I was very, very surprised. The standard was quite good. Uh, the thing is, the, when I was in Thailand, player would play maybe for 60 minutes because the heat was too much. Um, it was too much, uh, and they don't have the knowledge when you know you need to to play fast or press for maybe two or three minutes and then rest after. For them, it's just hundred percent all the time. So after one hour, the tempo start to to drop, and usually that that's when the foreigner. Uh, start to go up and make the difference in games because they start to go to get tired. So that, I think that's the, the only problem in, in this kind of countries where they don't have the knowledge than we, we, we have here. As well as Thailand, you also played in Cyprus. What was Cyprus like? Lovely country. What was it like to play football there? Uh, um, I was with nice boys, but I didn't really like Cyprus is something is different. It's, uh, Cyprus, uh, some games they will tell you, okay, guys, today you don't win. So I don't want to say more than this. <laughs> I, I, I understand what you're saying, absolutely. Uh, I'd imagine for you that's why you wanted to move on very quickly. 
well, um, I've been asked to leave anyway. Um, I was injured and it wasn't my thing. It wasn't my thing at all. I, I, I didn't really enjoy Thailand, but yeah, it was, um, it was weird. You go in the dressing room and yeah, next. <laughs> so from Cyprus and Thailand, we talked there about, obviously you came back to Scotland with Dundee and Ray. What is it you've, you've really loved so much about Scotland because you've been here for many years and you've made it your home? I was explaining before, then I spend more of my adult life in Scotland. So basically that's all I know. Um, so I always wanted to come back here. Uh, I, can't, I can't even tell you why I can't explain to you why. I just love being here. If I, had the, if I had the choice to play in Ligue 1 in France and in Premiership in Scotland, I would choose Scotland. That's brilliant. And in terms of Scotland, it's, you, you, this, as you've said, is, is your home now. Um, in terms of Scotland, is this the place you always want to live or do you one day want to go back, back to France? It's a difficult question because I, you asked me this few years ago, I would say, no, I want to stay here. I'm fine. Um, now um, I've got a son, which is make, even like, I have to stay here. but. Also, I miss, um, I miss France. And uh, maybe at some point when my sons be to be older, I'll probably move back to south of France. from Paris, but we'll move back to south of France so I could get, I want sun. <laughs> That's what I mean. I just want sun. I want slow pace of life, just to relax. And uh, every time I go to south of France, that's how I feel. So that's what I want. Sounds good. Tom Dundee and Wraith spells with Hamilton, Dumbarton, Stranraer, um, Troon as well. Before we come to Troon, what was it like playing for Hamilton, Dumbarton and Stranraer? Because those are three clubs that I've got history about them as well. Hamilton. Hamilton was, um, was good. I love playing for Hamilton. I love the atmosphere again in the dressing room. Um, I love, you know what's weird, but I love playing with Martin Canning was the coach at the time. Um, uh, Guillaume Boudit. Honestly, I love playing there. The thing is, I think I, I was deserving time in the it and um, started to feel very frustrated uh, not to play as much as I think I should have. Um, I've done quite well. Score, not many, I scored three goals in five starts or something like that and two assists. So I think I should have started more, but um, I don't know. There were players, uh, Maurice, who were unknown from um, Norwich, I think. And I guess he had to play, so it was sometimes very difficult for me to, to always watch and come in at the last 20 or half an hour. And, um, and I was at the time, I think, 28 or 29, and I wanted to play much more, so I needed to, to leave. And the Martin came, and I with my coach, I spoke with Martin and he wants me to stay. And I said, but he can't guarantee me more game time. And I said, I need, I need to play, so I went to Dumbarton. What's it like playing at Dumbarton? It's an interesting ground, obviously. It's got the kind of one stand and it's got the rock behind it. What was it like playing there, considering you'd played, as you say, in the Premier League with Sheffield United? Was it a big, a big eye-opener for you going to a team like Dumbarton? 
you know when when you play you forget about what happened before so when i was playing for dumbarton i'm a player i don't care what i've done before achieved before i'm in dumbarton because if i start to see where i used to be i will never be able to perform take everybody like i play in, in, in sheffield in premier league i don't need to play here what you, you understand so you forget all of this and you're a dumbarton player and you are where you deserve to be you know if i'm in dumbarton it's because I've got the level of Dumbarton. I don't have the level of Sheffield. I don't have the level to whoever I'm. I've got Dumbarton level, and that's where I should play. So that's the way I took things. Uh, with Dumbarton, it was quite interesting because I played against Dumbarton when I was in Dundee and when I was in Brave, and I get a lot of abuse from their, from their fans. So that was my only concern when I signed there. But um, they've been so nice to me. As soon as I arrived, my first game, they've been so nice to me. Um, they welcomed me so well and I felt very, very comfortable and that's why the last uh, six months of the season I've done very well there. You, you certainly did. You scored goals at Dumbarton in your first spell there. You moved to Shinrar. Why did you choose to move to Shinrar? Uh, it was a new challenge. You know, I, I never stayed too long to a club and um, Sarah came with a new challenge and um, and I wanted to uh, to change scenery, so I went there. It didn't work as as well as I thought it would, and so I just uh, came back to Sheffield to Dumbarton because they offered me a new contract. So I just came back. In terms of Stranraer, it was again well there. You then had a trial with Annan before then going back to Dumbarton again. Um, after your second spell with Dumbarton, you then went to Trun which was an interesting move, obviously, because it's not in the senior setup. I've spoke to Dean Keenan, and he said that you, he loved Camden. What was it like playing there? You love what? Well, obviously, Troon are not in the sort of senior setup in Scottish football. What what attracted you to Troon? Because I've spoken to Dean Keenan, and he said he loved having you at Troon. I didn't hear the hand. Sorry. You spoke with who? Right up to us. You obviously then went and joined Troon, which is not yeah. a senior setup. I spoke to Dean Keenan, who's obviously now the player manager at Troon, and he was saying that he liked having you there. <laughs> yeah, Dean, Dean's a character. <laughs> but I want to say something. I wasn't on loan for Anand. What happened is when I broke my contract with Sandra, um, I couldn't sign for, uh, and, uh, for Dumbarton until I think the end of January or something. So I knew the coach and then at the time and he asked me if I could come in and help the team for three games because I was allowed to sign the to play for three games. So I played with them. And then when I played the games, I signed for Dumbarton again. Troon, what, why I signed for Troon is because when all those uh, the things happened to me, uh, no team wanted to sign me. No team wanted even me close to their, to their clubs. And, um, and Matt Malley and Jim Kirtwood contacted me and asked me if I would will, um, will come and play for the team. And because the news, and I don't know why, maybe inside them news, and this story was too dodgy to be true. And they wanted to give me a chance, and, and I, will, I always will be thankful for that. And I will always love this club. And, yeah, true NFC been amazing to me. The coach Jim Kirkwood, uh, Kirkwood um, 
Tim, um, Matt Malley been amazing. And then, yeah, they welcomed me very, very well, and they made me uh, uh, very welcome. They've been nice to me, very comfortable from the first day I went, and yeah, I love being there. You scored lots of goals at Trun, and then you get the chance to sign for Annan on a sort of permanent basis where you are now. In terms of joining Annan, was that something you were desperate to do in terms of getting back to the senior level of football to prove yourself again? No, no, no. When I was in Trun, I was, I was well. I was very happy. I was... I didn't want to go anywhere. I was I was fine with that. But the coach showed me um, a very big interest to me. You know, he was calling me, texting me all the time, and I felt it was like an ego boost. You know, started to feel confident and said, "Oh, so I wanted to test myself, see I would be able to play again professional football." And uh, then I went and. As you say, you're doing well. You're at Annan again um, now, as we've talked about, and something that I've been through and, and we've spoken about before, and, and the advice you gave me really helped me, was your battle with depression and mental health. Just how did that affect you both on and off the park? Because it's something that so many people are experiencing right now. Um, it's been... So depression is a big thing. I never said it was... I could face it. I never saw I could beat it. Um, but you know, it's a it's a, it's like there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. Every everything happens sometimes for a reason, and. Sometimes the way to go through it, it's not even sometimes, every time the way to go through it is to talk about it. Is to be able to talk about it and uh, try to be, to keep your mind stimulated. I've been lucky to be able to talk to the right person and those person be for me and they helped me and that the first step towards, towards, um, being better again. And when, when I started to feel much, much better and, and I started to play mentally, physically, and uh, it's still difficult to talk about it sometimes, you know. Still, um, I've been talking about it so many times, but, I, but sometimes I still can't find the right things to say or to do to, to explain how I was feeling. And uh, it's, a, it's a very tricky thing. And people who never experienced it wouldn't be able to understand um, exactly what could go through your mind when you are in this kind of state. But I'm happy to feel much, much, uh, I'm, I'm much better right now. Um, and uh, I'm happy to help whoever needs help. Obviously, it's difficult sometimes when you can't help everybody. Yeah. And you, um, you need a balance because you don't want to be affected again because some stories you hear could affect you and go back to this kind of state. So I'm trying to stay I'm just trying to, to try, manage to make a difference between the story and mine 
to be able to uh, to stay <laughs> stable, which yes, I know I am. Of course. So this the Bible helped me a lot, a lot, a lot. God helped me a lot, and the Word of God helped me a lot, and that's why I know I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm never on my own because the thing is, when you um, when you're in depression, you always you're always on your own. Despite you can be around people, you always feel on your own. Yes. So the um, the physics, I mean, the presence physics of someone doesn't mean you have with someone, but it's not, doesn't also then because you don't see God, then it's not there. Does it make sense? Yes, of course. Yeah. I think the thing that you said to me that I found really helped me get over the sort of stigma of it all was when we first spoke, you described it to me as it's like being in a car crash, but Obviously, that car crash is in your mind and people can't see the bruises and they can't see the cuts. So they just look at you and think, oh, you're fine. But exactly. really, inside, you're, you've got all those injuries. You can feel them. Exactly. That's the thing. Exactly. It, you could, people will see you as physically, oh, he's perfect, he's in good health, he's got like good body, things. but the pain then you can't see sometimes is even more painful than the pain that you can see. Yes. Then when someone got a headache, you can't see his headache. But we tell you, my head is bursting, it's really sore. And that's the same with mental health. You can't see the headache, but it's there. It is there, and I think that analogy that you used, the first episode we did together, um, that quote is something that lots of people have really taken on board. When we released that first episode, lots of my friends, I'd never really overly spoken about my battle before, and, and they'd said to me that having listened to, to you, Describe depression is that they said to me, that's the first time I've ever really kind of understood what you meant when you said you were struggling, but people couldn't see it. So as I say, I think it was something that was very powerful. I can be smart sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of, um, we've said this before, from my experience, I found that speaking to people, not being alone, you've referenced the Bible there whether it's reading a, a religious book, whether it's getting interested in something, whether it's football, something outside, it's about keeping yourself busy, but also keeping yourself stable and knowing when you need to speak to people and knowing when you're okay. And I want to just ask you, Christian, what advice would you give to anyone listening to this again, struggling with mental health at the moment? Not be ashamed of suffering from mental health. You know, when you, when you, um, when you broke your arm, you're not ashamed to say, I broke my arm. So why would you be ashamed to say, I'm not feeling well. I've got this problem just now and need help. When you go to, when you broke your arm, you don't stay home and say, ah, it's fine. You go to the doctor, try to fix it. So why not when you're not well here? Because here is, 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 is more dangerous being um, injured here and just physically so if you can talk you know and the thing is at some point you start to recon recognize the sign when you start to feel down and that's when you need to know then you need to open up don't keep it because when you keep it inside you when you keep it and keep it it start to hate you alive and at some point you even you feel so deep in a hole then you you can't reach anybody you think you can't but you always can. There's always someone there to listen. Maybe on, out of 10 people, there's one person who's going to be happy to listen to you and to help you. So you just need to open up and open up. And when you, 
when you open up, you start to talk about it, you start, you start to hate yourself. You're becoming a doctor of yourself, but you need to open to uh, so what you feel. Absolutely, and, and, and I completely echo that. In my experience as well, I found opening up was a great help. Starting the podcast was a great help. And when we spoke, as I said, the since we recorded that first episode, we've stayed in contact, which has been been brilliant. So I just again want to thank you for your for your support you've given me over the over the the, the last few months. And as, and as I say, I hope that when people listen to this, they can they can take your advice on board if they are struggling. Because in my experience, your advice has helped a lot. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. I'm trying, you know, I don't just say it and not do it. I'm because I'm thinking about what I'm saying also, and, and because it helped me, I hope it will help others. I don't just say it just to say it, it's just because I know it can help. Definitely. And I'd like to finish with just finishing a wee bit of football back to sort of quick fire questions. Um, first of all, who would you say is the best player you've played with? Best player I've played with? Oh. Blaise Matuidi. Excellent uh, answer. <laughs> um, best player you played against, I'm assuming, is still going to be Ronaldo. Yeah. Obvious yeah. one. Absolutely tremendous. Um, going to put you on the spot here. I asked you this before, and I'm interested to see if you've changed your mind. You can score a hat-trick and your team lose, or you can have an absolute stinker and your team win. No. Uh. I think it happened to me so many times uh, having a thinking and my team win. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've played against them, so I'm interested to see if you're going to say them. Who's better, Ronaldo or Messi? To me, it's Ronaldo. I think I said that last time as well. Yes, you did, absolutely. Um, yeah. A few non-football ones for you. Um, beach holiday or city break? A beach holiday. <laughs> what, what would you? Where would you say has been the best place you've visited in the world so far? South Africa. Great answer. What was good about South Africa? I've never been. I'm desperate to go. I went to Johannesburg and Cape Town, but when I was in Cape Town, I felt like um, there were some of Africa, some of uh, Europe, some of America in the same place. And, and I loved it, the difference of culture in the same country, in this, actually the same city, like I say, Cape Town. It was just amazing. And I love being there. Obviously, it's not the safest country to be. But um, no weapon happened. Fantastic. Um, what would you say is your favorite food? Uh, it's uh, food from every coast. From my, where I come from, my parents come from, and wow, my colleagues tell me where I come from. Um, favorite film? Um, to Sell with Love with uh, Sidney Poitier. It's an old movie. I love it. Favorite band or favorite music? Band, uh, no, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I like Afrobeat. Afrobeat just nice. It's really, really good and I love it. Favourite um, book? Obviously, the Bible's a big part of your life, but what would, you, would you say that's your favourite book as well because it means so much to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think the book, when you read the book, it should try to make you travel if you for this kind of book or make you dream or make you feel something. And I think I feel everything I need to feel with the Bible. Great answer. Um, best manager of your career and why? 
Neil Warnock because uh, he believed in me because he pushed me to going towards my limit. Um, if you could play for any manager today, which one would it be and why? Would be Jose Mourinho because um, <laughs> because I think when he when he like you, he will do anything for you. And uh, I think it's uh, well, according what uh, players I know played with him said, um, he can be a very he, he can be a, a really good fa uh, father figure, and uh, yeah, can get the best of you. The last question I've got for you, Christian, is what does the future hold for Christian Nadi? Can we expect to see you as a manager or a coach one day? Uh, uh, there's a saying in French say, to, be, uh, to live happy, you need to, to be discreet. So I don't say, I'll just show. Oh, very good. That's a great way to end the podcast. I'm interested to, to watch out and see if you're going to be a coach or a manager one day, and I'm sure that'll be a really interesting journey as well as your playing career. Once again, yeah. I just want to say thanks for being on the podcast the first time and now, and thanks for all the help you've given me over the last few months. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me again. It was a pleasure. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean and we'll